Peace Hacker. Talk about a fried egg. I lasted about five minutes out there. I said, to heck with this. I'll do this in the morning. And I don't have any inside information. The lady that did it, she got in there. Don't I go. mean, she made it happen. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. And I do enjoy drinking cold beer at ballparks. So if that makes me a baseball fan, then I'm a diehard baseball fan. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville, our late night show. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where else would you rather be at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on a Tuesday night than right here on Hacker After Dark? And we do certainly appreciate you staying up late with us, with Casey Dobson, who's in for Dylan Denmark. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green, the NFL scouting combine up in Indianapolis. We heard from Doug Peterson earlier today. We heard from Trent Baalke earlier today. They said a couple of things that, well, I guess stood out to me. So we will address those here momentarily. We are absolutely jam-packed tonight. We will do a lot of NFL. We're also going to do a lot from college football as well. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, Dallas Robinson, of Pro Football Network, PFN. He's one of their main draft guys. We'll talk 2024 draft with Dallas Robinson. I also want to talk to him. He's based up in Cincinnati. I want to talk to him about the T. Higgins franchise tag. I also want to talk about Brian Callahan, the former Bengal coordinator, who is now the head coach for the hated Tennessee Titans here in the AFC South. So we'll do some draft some Jaguar talk, and a little T. Higgins and Brian Callahan talk, all with Dallas Robinson of Pro Football Network. He is coming up in less than 20 minutes. Also, my buddy Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark as we will do a little college ball talk, a little NCAA basketball talk as well with Mr. Brent Beard. That comes up later on here in the 10 o'clock hour. But every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night. And Casey Dobson, let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So, Trent Balky and Doug Peterson. You heard interviews with them with Frank Frangi here on 1010XL. They also address the media today up in Indianapolis. Now, look, press conferences are what they are, right? You try to gather some info. They're not going to get up at that podium and give their entire blueprint for what they're going to do in the NFL offseason. They're not going to say, yeah, we're cutting that guy. We're bringing in this guy. Obviously not. But I will say that for what it is, and you kind of take it with a grain of salt a majority of the time, I thought both Balky and Peterson today were pretty uh, upfront, I guess, with some information. Number one was Cam Robinson. Cam Robinson, it appears, is in the plans for the Jaguars in 2024. That is somewhat of a surprise to me. Look, I think Cam Robinson had a very good year last year when he was out there. Now, he missed like eight games, so he missed basically half the year. But I didn't know at that $17 million salary cap figure 
if Cam Robinson was going to be in the plans in 2024. It certainly sounds like he is in the plans. So Cam Robinson is going to be a Jaguar, it appears. We know Josh Allen is, whether it's a long-term extension or the franchise tag by March the 5th, which is next week. We know he's in the plans. And again, when you listen to these guys, some people hear different things with the same comment. I have a lot more question now about Calvin Ridley than I did, say, a day or two ago. I don't know if Ridley is in the future plans. I know they want Ridley back. That's what they say. Um, Doug Peterson, I guess Trent Baalke, the GM, was the one that said he met with Calvin. They know where Calvin stands. We know, or he knows where we stand. But I don't know. I'm just reading through the lines. To me, the Calvin Ridley situation is starting to feel like Jawan Taylor last year. Remember Jawan Taylor last year? They had to franchise Evan Ingram. He had to franchise one of them. They chose to franchise Ingram. And Jawan Taylor hit the market, and he was gone four hours later to Kansas City. I'm starting to get that vibe between Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley. You had to franchise one of them. So you franchise Josh Allen, and everybody would, right? That's the right thing to do. You got to franchise Josh Allen. But in doing so, you're apparently going to let Ridley hit the market in 13 days. T. Higgins has already been franchised in Cincinnati. Rumor is Michael Pittman is going to be franchised in Indianapolis. And it appears that Mike Evans does not want to leave Tampa at this point in his career. So now I have many, many more questions and maybe even a few doubts creeping in as to whether Calvin Ridley will be a Jaguar in 2024. If Ridley hits the market on Monday, March the 11th, I think he's probably gone. Can they get something done with him beforehand? Which, of course, then means you got to give Atlanta a second-round pick, right? We've talked about that. That's the direction I think it's headed. I think if Ridley is going to be a Jaguar, it needs to get done before March 11th. Because I have a feeling if it gets to that point and he can start negotiating with other teams, it's going to be a Jawan Taylor situation from last year and Calvin Ridley is going to find himself in another uniform in 2024, which then all of a sudden will make wide receiver a bigger priority for the Jaguars moving forward. Dobson, what do you got? So... I might have answered my own question, but Ridley, are we able to package him to maybe get that Snead? Because if you think about last year, Patrick Mahomes didn't really have anybody to throw to. But I think I answered my own question because he was only on a one-year contract. Right yeah, now. he's going to be free agent March 11th, so uh, there's not a lot of sign and trades. You see that in the NBA. You don't really ever see that in the NFL. So no, Calvin Ridley is going to be either be re-signed or you're going to lose him in free agency. He won't be part of any trade. And I hope I'm wrong because I, I told you guys this last week. I thought we owed Calvin Ridley an apology. I think we were too hard on Calvin Ridley. The guy went 23 months without playing in the NFL. 23 months. And despite that long layoff, he comes back and is a 1,000-yard receiver, 
has eight touchdowns, what, 75-some-odd grabs. That's a good year for a guy that did not play football for 23 months. I would love to see what he can do year two. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe he'll hit the market and, you know, a couple hours will go by, and all of a sudden the Jaguars re-sign Calvin Ridley. But I just get the vibe that it's going to be similar to Jawan Taylor if he gets to the market on March 11th. He's going to be the best wide receiver available, assuming Pittman gets the tag in Indy and assuming Evans stays in Tampa and somebody like Kansas City, as you mentioned, or the Chargers, the Patriots, somebody, the Titans are wide receiver star. Boy, that would suck. I just think somebody's going to come in and throw a lot of money at him. Now, does he want to stay here and play with Trevor Lawrence? Well, sure, there's a possibility of that, but this is probably going to be Calvin Ridley's last big payday. He's going to be, he is 29 years old. I mean, this is probably it. You know, three-year deal, four-year deal, whatever he signs, he's not going to get a big payday at 32 or 33 years of age. So odds are he's going to go to the highest bidder, and I'm not sure that'll be Jacksonville if he gets into that free agent market on Monday, March the 11th. So we'll do a lot more on the Jaguars, certainly tonight and the rest of the week. A lot of NFL as we go along here on Hacker After Dark, and we'll kick that off coming up next. Dallas Robinson, Pro Football Network. PFN. I love PFN. It's one of my go-to websites. We're going to talk draft. We're going to talk Jaguars, particularly some of the younger Jaguars. But again, Robinson based in Cincinnati. So I want to ask him about the T Higgins franchise tag. I want to ask him about Joe Burrow and his health and Brian Callahan, the brand new head coach in the AFC South. What is a guy that lives in Cincinnati think of the former Bengals coordinator that is now the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. With Casey Dobson, I'm the Hacker Ryan Green. It's a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark, and we're glad you're with us. Dallas Robinson, Pro Football Network, coming up next. Tone 10XL is presented by Vara and Vara, exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Protecting you and your family. Call 396-5555. Jacksonville. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The scouting combine this week. Up in Indianapolis, that means the NFL offseason just rolling right along. And again, now we are inside of two weeks until NFL free agency. With all that being said, Dallas Robinson does a terrific job for Pro Football Network. He is one of their draft guys, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Dallas, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate the time. Hey, Dallas, always appreciate you, my friend. And now let's get right into it. Uh, the Jaguars, right? Let's start at the very basics. The collapse at the end of the year was awful. We've moved on. New defensive coordinator, new defensive scheme. Let's talk about some of the younger guys, Dallas, before we really get into this 2024 draft class. 
I thought towards the end of the year, amidst all the losses, that Trayvon Walker really found something. He ended up with 10 sacks. Obviously, he's always going to be compared to Aiden Hutchinson, and we understand that. But a guy like you that studied Trayvon Walker, what were your thoughts on him in year two, and what do you think about him moving forward? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Jaguars talked about Trayvon Walker playing more on the interior, and that didn't really happen. But I, I think him playing on the edge out, outside of opposite Josh Allen, I think he did show something by the end of the year. And, I, you know, I think coming out of college, he was always a guy who was viewed as a raw prospect, right? He wasn't viewed as a guy like Hutchinson who might contribute from day one, and that's kind of played out. I think that you still have hope for a guy like Walker, for a guy like Devin Lloyd, that maybe entering year three now with a new defensive scheme and a new coordinator and Ryan Nielsen, that maybe they can take that step forward. And, you know, we'll talk about these other additions they can make on, on that side of the ball. But I think if you're the Jaguars, you're looking at those Walker and Lloyd, those two first round picks on defense and thinking, can they step up in their third year? I think they can. And I, I have more faith on Walker than I do on Lloyd. Just because I, I, like you said, I think Walker showed more by the end of the season than Lloyd had, but I, but I would have faith that at least there's a chance that both of those guys could emerge in their third year. Yeah, you led me right into Devin Lloyd. Look, his rookie year got great, right? Then he kind of regressed, and then mm. during year two, kind of the same thing. I thought he was good September and October, and I thought he kind of regressed again in November and December. Uh, what is the issue, in your opinion, with Devin Lloyd? Do you think the Jaguars need to be concerned there? I think you you have to be because first year you could kind of explain it by a rookie wall, right? I mean, we see that with a lot of guys that they get to the end of their rookie year and their first season and they're not used to playing that many games and that many snaps and it just kind of all hits them at once. When it happens again in the second year, I think you maybe have a little more concern. And you know, the thing with Devin Lloyd is he's just he hasn't looked good in coverage. And in today's NFL, like that, that's a massive problem. You can't have linebackers out there, you know, guys who you are viewing as a three-down linebacker who consistently get lost in coverage and are consistently missing tackles and don't know where they're gonna be. I, I think that's the type of thing that like really sets your defense back like a couple steps as if a guy right in the middle of your defense is consistently not knowing where he's supposed to be at the right time. So, I, I, like I said, I have more faith that Walker will be the guy who kind of emerges in his third year. I think there's still a chance with Lloyd. I mean, he, he was so good coming out of college, so athletic. And it, it is surprising, I think, the, the kind of journey that he's taken the NFL over these first two years. So, as someone that liked him coming out a couple of years ago, I still have faith. But it, it's hard to say that you're, you can't be a little dissuaded by these first two years in the pros. Dallas Robinson, Pro Football Network. Dallas, one final guy from the 20. 20- 22 draft and that's Luke Fortner at center the guy came in and he started every game the last two years for the Jaguars at center of course he was a third round pick out of Kentucky the problem is he's been getting pushed around a lot and I Mm -hmm. think that really stood out week 18 in that loss to Tennessee you could argue the biggest play of the Jaguar season Trevor Lawrence trying to sneak that ball over with a minute to go and Luke Fortner basically sacked Trevor Lawrence because he was pushed three yards into the backfield. Jaguar fans are done with Luke. Now, I like Luke, and I hope he can turn things around. I think there's a spot for him on this roster. I'm just not sure, Dallas, if it's at the starting center position. Yeah, I mean, there, there were definitely some rough moments, I think. And, you know, you, you look at other guys on this roster, and, and you, you've seen growth, you know, along the offensive line at times, and you wonder if that could happen with Fortner. But I, I don't know, and there are – there are obviously other questions on the Jag- on the Jaguars' offensive line too. Ezra Cleveland is a free agent left guard. You know, is Walker Little Walker Little going to play there? Is Cam Robinson a potential cut candidate? That's something I've written about. 
where's Anton Harrison going to play? Is Brandon Scherf going to be in the team? I think, you know, aside from Fortner, there are so many questions along this front five that this has got to be an area that the Jaguars are going to address this season. You know, I think you feel like you have maybe a couple pieces that you like, but having Fortner being a problem at center as a, as a third round pick, I mean, a third round pick at center, I think you're expecting that guy to be a long-term starter. I think at other positions, you might see a third round pick and, and think, oh, we're taking a chance on this guy. If he works out great, if he doesn't, it's okay. It's center. I mean, you find a lot of starters in the third, fourth, fifth round. So to have a guy like Fortner, who I think you're right, has absolutely struggled through these first two years and has not shown what I think we were all kind of expecting. I, I think it is disappointing, even maybe more so than, than a guy like Lloyd, where you're hoping that a little more development can help. I, I, I would have concerns about that center position if I were a Jaguars fan. Dallas, you mentioned Anton Harrison, the first round pick from last year. What were your thoughts on him? You know, I thought he I thought he played well. I, I wasn't as high on him coming out as others were, but I, I thought he was okay. I'm 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 kind of curious about what his long term plan is gonna be. I mean, and you might even have a better idea about this than me. Like is he gonna stick on the right side? Are they considering him on the left side if they move on from Cam Robinson? It's you know, I don't know. There was so much flux up front last year with the Jaguars front five. I think that there are a lot of questions going into next year and I, I don't know. He's one of the more interesting guys, I think, from the first round of the 2023 draft, I think, as we're looking into next year and see, can he take that step forward? I, I think you look at a guy like, you know, like an Evan Neal in, in New York with the Giants who has not taken that step forward. But you look at his left tackle partner and Andrew Thomas, who really, really struggled his first couple of years and then turned into an all pro. You look at these offensive tackles and it can take a while for these guys to develop. I think you don't want to give up on a guy like Harrison, and he showed a lot of flashes that were really, really impressive last year. But I think maybe getting solidified at one spot and figuring out who he's going to be playing alongside will help him going into the next season. Yeah, I agree. He, I thought he was pretty good at a right tackle. But, again, if you do cut Cam Robinson and you would save $17 million, we'll probably get some clarity mm -hmm. on that in the next two weeks. I think that's going to tell us a lot about the future of Anton Harrison. Uh, final thought before we get to this year's draft class. Uh, they got basically nothing from Britton Strange and Tank Bigsby last year. Uh, again, you hate to rip guys after one year, but Britton Strange, I think, had more holding penalties than he had catches. I think Bigsby literally might have fumbled the ball more than he had first down runs. I mean, those guys have to show a massive improvement in year two, correct? Yeah, I think I think there's an argument to be made that Tank Bigsby was maybe the worst running back in the entire NFL last year. I mean, there, I, I think you could make that case that there were so many issues that just constantly showed out in, in rookie running backs, like another position where you're expecting a rookie running back to hit the ground from round from day one, no matter what round they're chosen in. I mean, that's, I think you're kind of considering that as a position that you could just kind of know what you're doing from day one. So it's for for take things to be kind of outplayed by guys like Darius Johnson. I mean, I think it's very surprising. Maybe going into a second year. I think I, maybe that helps. Like that's kind of what we're saying for a lot of these guys, you know, but. I don't know that hope is a plan. I, I think that's another position you'd have to be concerned about. Okay, is this guy who we spent a third-round pick really going to turn into something? And same for Britton Strange. You know, we didn't see a lot out of him going into year one. Tight end's a position that can take time, but I, it, it's kind of the, the same topic, like talking point that we're having with a lot of these guys, right, is that we don't know, and we can kind of hope and, and think they might develop going the next year, but it, it's fair to say there are a lot of questions about a lot of, a lot of young players, and that comes with upside, but it also comes with downside. Dallas Robinson of Pro Football Network. All right, Dallas, let's get in to this year's draft class. The Jaguars sit at number 17. Now, honestly, we'll probably have a lot more idea what direction the Jaguars will go 
in the next three to four weeks once free agency, that dust settles. But for the here and now, everybody here locally, including myself, need to get bigger up front, man. I've seen a lot of mocks of the Jaguars taking corners, and maybe with Ryan Nielsen's addition, that, that certainly is a need. But again, I go back to week 18. The Jaguars and the line of scrimmage got pushed around, both on the interior O-line and the interior D-line. Is that where you think they need to go, or are you more of the idea that maybe cornerback is in their future? You know, I, th- I think it makes sense at both spots, and I, I'm not a draft expert. Like, I'm still getting to know some of these prospects, but so I'm not as up on, on the actual players as some of my colleagues might be, but I think you can make the case for both. But I absolutely agree that the, the trenches have to be where they start. I mean, we talked about Fortner's struggles. Um, Ezra Cleveland's a free agent. Brandon Scherf, we don't know what his future is. On the defensive side, I mean, there are guys that can play. Like Roy, Roy Robertson Harris has always been a favorite of mine. I think I think the guy can absolutely play. But you're right; they need they need more help. Josh Allen is obviously going to be back on the franchise tag, but you might lose a guy like Dwayne Smoot, who didn't show that much coming back from injury last year. I, is there a you know whether it's free agency or whether it's draft? I, I think adding another body to that defensive line that maybe lets Trevon Walker play a little more inside, if that's something the Jaguars want to do, maybe. Let them show a little bit more multiple looks and a little bit more versatility. Whether that's in free agency, you know, Daniel Hunter from the Vikings has been a guy that's been pegged to Jaguar to the Jaguars in a lot of different simulations that I've seen. Or whether that's in the draft and adding another young guy. I think adding a, a big body to that defensive line has got to be on the docket. Yeah, I think there's absolutely no question they need to address that. They need to address corner. They got a lot of issues to certainly look at as free agency is less than two weeks away. All right, Dallas, you also do a lot of work with Cincinnati. You host a podcast revolving around the Bengals, which two questions for you on that front. Number one, T. Higgins, the franchise mm-hmm. tag. Your thoughts? So I think it was totally expected. Um, my, my co-host and I, Jay Morrison, have been talking about this back to last year, that you know, with the salary cap being the way it is and the Bengals having the space they do, that the tag made all the sense in the world. The fact that they they announced the tag as early as in the, in the window as they did, I think – says to me that they are nowhere close to an extension with T Higgins and that, you know, I think that they're open to keeping him for one year and kind of making another Super Bowl run, maybe even tagging him a second year next season and, and kind of going all in for two years in a row. But I think doing it this early and announcing the tag this early is a little bit of a sign that, Hey, combined this week, market might be open. If you have an offer for T Higgins, let's hear it. If you if T Higgins and his agent think they can find a contract elsewhere and, and someone's willing to give the Bengals a I would say a first round pick is probably the cost. Let's hear it. Let's hear the option. So I think that's kind of their thought process. We, is, if we hear something this week and maybe hear some rumors that are swirling around T Higgins, I, I would not be all that surprised. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a good point because they did do it with about seven days remaining in the tag window. Nobody else has been tagged at the time you and I are talking except for T Higgins. So what you're saying makes an awful lot of sense. How's Joe Burrow coming with his rehab? I believe Joe is doing good. You know, Jay, our, our Bengals reporter, said that he he's doing good. He's talked to the media. He is on track to be ready for OTAs and, and fully ready by training camp and all that. So I, I don't believe there's any doubt that he'll be ready for the season. And, you know, obviously they, the Bengals got a good look at Jake Browning during the season. I think are very happy with their backup position there. And if Joe does take a little more time, I think that only means extra reps for Jake Browning, but I, there are, I don't believe there are any concerns that, that Joe Burrow will be ready for a training camp. Yeah, the Jaguars got a good look at Jake Browning, too, on Monday Night yes, Football. They, There's they no question did. about that. Final <laughs> moments, Dallas Robinson, Pro Football Network. All right, Dallas, we've taken notice of what Tennessee did, hiring 
former Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. Personally, I'm happy Mike Vrabel's out of the division because Vrabel killed the Jaguars. What is your <laughs> thought on Callahan and the job he'll do there in Nashville? You know, I've always been very, very impressed by Brian Callahan, Cincinnati. You know, it's it's always tough because he like doesn't call the offensive plays. That's what Zach Taylor does. So you're not you haven't had experience watching an actual Brian Callahan offense. But you know, if I were a Titans fan, I'd be very, very happy. He, Brian Callahan has been in the NFL for a long time, but he's still a very young guy. He's in his, his mid to late thirties. You know, his, his dad is an excellent offensive line coach, Bill Callahan, that he brought with him to Tennessee. That. You know, it, it, Titans might have had the worst offensive line in the NFL last year. So adding, you know, the greatest NFL line coach in history is probably a good thing. Uh, Brian Callahan is like personally always a very decent guy. I, I get the sense that the Bengals coaching staff is extremely collaborative. So even though Brian Callahan may not be calling the exact plays, he is extremely involved in game planning and strategizing and kind of the organization and communication with, with the team, and he, he was integral in, in getting Jake Browning's that kind of excellent performance over the second half of the season. I'd be very happy. I think he's a very different personality than Mike Vrabel, who, you know, these are, a lot of reports say that he's a little bit of an overbearing presence at times, you know, as a former player. That's not Brian Callahan, so I think in the building it's going to be a very different vibe, and, you know, obviously people in Jacksonville know this Titans roster is a little bit of a bad state right now, so it might take a couple years, but I, I have faith in Brian Callahan that he's going to be able to build something there in Tennessee. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And the crazy thing going into 2024 now, Doug Peterson is the elder statesman of the head yes. coaches, right? He's entering year three. You got Steichen and Ryans that'll be entering year two, and Brian Callahan his first year there in Nashville. Dallas, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about Pro Football Network, your coverage, and what they can expect when they head on over to the website. Absolutely. ProFootballNetwork.com. You know, we're gearing up for the combine. We're sending a lot of people there. So please come visit us for all that coverage. Free agency, the draft. We've, we've absolutely got it all. And uh, you can follow me at Dallas D. Robinson on Twitter. So thank you again for the time. Hey, Dallas, really enjoyed the conversation. Let's do it again after free agency. We'll see where the dust settles. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, sir. There you go. Dallas Robinson of Pro Football Network here with us on Hacker After Dark. And it's interesting to hear a perspective like that. He thinks cornerback and interior offensive line slash defensive line. I just, look, I've said it forever. I'm going to keep saying it until free agency and until they do something to change my mind. I want a guy at the line of scrimmage. I go back to week 18 in Nashville. They got pushed all over the field. I need some help on the interior O-line or the interior D-line and then if that means taking a corner in round two, so be it. But as it stands right now, I need a guy on the line of scrimmage. Now, if they address that in free agency, obviously my thought process will change. I think both are very important, line of scrimmage bodies and defensive backfield, but those are obviously two of the main, main concerns for the Jaguars heading in to free agency, which, by the way, again, begins 13 days from today. More on the National Football League coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Ben Arthur of Fox Sports and FoxSports.com. He is the AFC South reporter, and he will join us about an hour or so from now. Coming up next, into the world of college football. Let's talk Florida. Let's talk Florida State. Let's talk a little NCAA basketball. And and want to throw a couple of things at Brent Beard. Court storming that we saw with Duke and Wake Forest. 
compare that to uh, football fields and storming football fields and how the SEC has separated themselves from the pack, among other conferences, when it comes to that. And the 12-team playoff hasn't even gotten here. It hasn't even gotten here. This is year one of it. Are they already talking about expanding that thing in 2026? That's coming up next. Brent Beard, you see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark with Casey Dobson. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. 1010XL is presented by Farrah & Farrah, exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Protecting you and your family. Call 396-5555. Jacksonville. Hacker. After Dark on 1010XL. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Tuesday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The NFL Scouting Combine going on up in Indianapolis. Believe it or not, the first SEC spring football dates are now here, as I believe Auburn becomes the first SEC team that starts spring practice. Missouri will start later on this week as well, and there is a ton going on with Florida Florida State, and all over the place here in the southeastern part of the country. With that, let me welcome in my friend Britton Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir? Well, we are heading into a spring-like week. Uh, we're not too far from uh, the uh, selection for March Madness, uh, spring football beginning uh, which we all desperately need something on the field, don't we, Act to be going on. Uh, so, uh, But I'll, always glad to uh, be able to hash a lot of this out. And, uh, man, we used to uh, uh, have a situation where there was really nothing going on after National Signing Day. That is, that is no longer the case. And I'm going to start as of today that we are a little over two and a half months away from our first preseason magazine. How's that? <laughs> Absolutely. Nobody loves preseason magazines as much as my friend Brent Beard. Uh, Brent, college basketball, you mentioned March Madness, the conference tournaments. In fact, some of the conference tournaments, believe it or not, are about 12 days away, right? Next yeah. weekend, the conference tournaments will really start kicking up the SEC a couple of weeks away. There's only four regular season games. But quickly, Brent, when did the conference you love, the football conference, it just means more, when did it become the best basketball conference in the country? Because I think there's an argument that it is right now the best college basketball conference in America. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, Big 12 is having a great year. Uh, the ACC may get five. Uh, now, the SEC originally thought we'd get nine. Uh, probably looks more like now it's going to be uh, seven, depending on, uh, say, Ole Miss and A&M and some teams like that, they made a a real dedicated effort a few years ago. I remember when Mike Trangizi came in as, an, as a consultant of getting better players, better coaches, better arenas, and that has really paid off. I, I, I agree with that totally. It's been wonderful to see because the upper the upper echelon, well, well, 
what would you say, Hank, top five, top six? Uh, frankly, uh, when they get in the big dance, uh, it, it could be a while before they go home. Yeah, I agree. And, look, the SEC tournament's going to be spectacular. From Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, I, I throw Florida into that mix, South Carolina. Yeah. You go on down the line, any one of those teams – could make a run in that SEC tournament, Auburn certainly. So that'll be fun to watch when conference tournaments begin here in the next week or two. All right, speaking of college basketball, there were some interesting developments on the court after a game on Saturday. Of course, Wake Forest upsets Duke. Wake Forest fans storm the court, as fans tend to do, and there was an injury to one of Duke's best players. Now, Filipowski apparently is going to be okay It's a sprained ankle, we believe, so dodging a bullet there. Brent, I've hated the storming the court or in football storming the field from fans. And, in fact, I believe the SEC is the only conference that finds their institutions for doing that. Now, some schools still do it and pay the fine, but I've hated it. It is so dangerous, and if it's a get-off-my-lawn moment, so be it. I wish they would ban it, to be honest with you. I, look, I don't see anything wrong with um, uh, saying what you just said. I mean, when you look, and I know you have, at the 30,000-foot um, uh, view of what happened there, if you're, look, if you're standing, if you're a player on that court and you're seeing all those people rush right at you, that that's going to be a terrifying situation, frankly. Uh, and if we don't stop this, uh, on both the, the court and on the field, at some point, Hack, you're going to have a major injury and a major lawsuit or, heaven forbid, even a loss of life. That, we're, we're really at the point of where there, there is no need uh, to, uh, uh, to, to have this continue. Uh, I don't know what the answer is, but I think you've either got to do one of two things. You've either got to ban it totally or there has got to be some kind of a uniform uh, rule, and I still don't know exactly how you would implement this, that you've got, <clears throat> before you rush the court, there is a two-minute interval uh, to get everyone off the court uh, that has no reason or no, or desire to be in the midst of that. And to me, if you can't do... Uh, uh, if you can't come up with that, and that would probably be pretty difficult logistically, just forget it and let's ban it would be the easiest thing to do. Brent Beard, you get him on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, I was talking about this last night. Injuries are one thing. I'm amazed there hasn't been a full-on brawl. All Absolutely. Right? So you're in the midst of battle, right? You're yeah. a, t- a high-ranked a high team. You get upset. You've been battling and scratching and clawing for 40 minutes in basketball or 60 minutes in football. You lose. You're upset. You're frustrated. And then thousands of students from the opposing team are screaming in your face. I am shocked there hasn't been a huge fight out of something like that. Well, well, now think about this a minute, particularly, and you could say the same thing to to a degree with the basketball, but just just ponder this a minute. You, you've got a uh, six foot six, three hundred and fifty pound nose guard who is upset. His team lost. He knows he had a bad game, uh, and uh, and he starts people running at him, 
and taunting him and hitting him. Uh, uh, Ryan, what happens if he if he either starts uh, uh, punching people or heaven forbid he takes his he takes his helmet off? and just start swinging wildly. What happens then? Yeah, it would be awful. And, again, I'm surprised and, quite frankly, shocked that we haven't seen a situation like that. And uh, Not to get on a, you know, a high horse here, but you look at the University of Florida, they don't do that in Gainesville. Right. I mean, there right. is a standard, and most of the fans adhere to it, at least the old, the old guard and the new guard obviously is as well. Florida's had many big wins on the football field, obviously, Brent, and many big wins on the basketball court. You never see the Gator fans storming the court or the field, so I commend Florida for that. Yeah, oh, oh absolutely. And look, you can you can celebrate uh, in the stands. Uh, you can celebrate spill out on the street. Uh, I, I mean, there 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 are ways to do it without injuring people. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. All right, Brent, let's dive into some of your notes. Now we're all fired up for the 12-team playoff, right? I mean, everybody's pumped yes. about it. But they're already looking ahead to the next thing. Now, this playoff is only good, I believe, through 2026. Right. Could we see a additional expansion to more than 12 teams after that? We could see anything at this point. Um, now, Tony Petiti, the commissioner of the Big Ten, is the one who really would like to go – uh, to either 14 or 16. Um, and now, again, the agreement they have. Now, this could change in the offseason, but the agreement they've got right now uh, with the 5-7 format um, is only through two years. Uh, so in 2026, uh, we could see a whole lot more changes that are going to be going on, too. Now, see, part of this desire to go to 16 teams is the SEC and the uh, Big Ten are not done expanding. Um, more expansions coming over the next two years, certainly beyond that. And some of that's going to be um, because of the ACC. They're going to be probably, and it won't happen immediately, but Florida State's going to be the first. Florida State's leaving soon. And then you're going to have about five more schools, um, something like North, North Carolina, Virginia, Clemson, uh, Miami at some point, um, uh, and, and, and maybe one or two more that, that are leaving the ACC. And they're going to have to pick up some teams if they want to stay viable um, as a conference. So there are a lot of reasons for this. Now, we may get something done that goes beyond 24 and 25 before the season begins. Uh, but right now, that has not happened. But you still got a lot of meetings between uh, um, uh, commissioners and committees and so forth uh, that they can do because of Zoom and, and so forth. So it's a... Uh, we've got some structure, but we need a lot more. You and I have talked college football for 21 years. Rewind the clock back to 2002 when you and I first met. I mean, we've talked about this forever, right? The, the expansion, the conference yes. realignment, yes. the playoff, players getting paid. I mean, we've talked and talked and talked. Well, now here it is. I mean, we are living it, literally living it. 
do you like it, Brent? I mean, we've we've obviously prepared ourselves mentally for two decades, but now we're in the the crux of it. I mean, do you like what you're seeing with your sport? That's a really wonderful question. Uh, I, some of it I like. I like the expanded playoff. We should have actually done that uh, 20 years ago, uh, and I think the expanded playoff, frankly, would save the sport uh, in the long run. Um, I, re- I the thing I don't like about NIL, and I know, and I have no problem with players getting some extra money. But where my problem comes in uh, is when we think we've got to guarantee uh, the third string uh, uh, tackle a million dollars, just like the other stars on the team. Um, And and I necessarily, I really don't want the sport to be NFL-like, but if the sport's going to survive, I'm I'm concerned that we're going to have to uh, uh, to have uh, contracts and uh, and being able to play uh, players uh, with a kind of a tier system like the again the NFL does. Uh, so uh, a lot of uh, mixed emotions. The transfer portal. Uh, some of these guys being on a different team every year, uh, and the fans fans used to grab in Major League Baseball. They couldn't keep up with who the roster is. Now, now we're doing it in football. So uh, it's like everything in life, and in hack, some you like, some you don't. A couple of more for Brent Beard. All right, Brent, let's dive into one of those things that's changing the sport. That's the transfer portal. You know, it was interesting looking over the notes that, and I guess I knew this, but when I saw it and I read it, it really resonated. Well, a lot of the top transfers in America, from Trevor Etienne to Isaiah Bond to Princely Uman Mielin, a lot of these guys are leaving one SEC school, staying in the conference, and just simply going to another SEC school. And you brought up a great point earlier. You can only do that in the winter cycle. You cannot do that when the spring transfer portal opens here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, the and that transfer portal is going to be open like. April the 15th, and he'll be open for basically a couple of weeks. Uh, and, and look, we saw this last year. If you're going to get your players, you really need to do it in the winter uh, because in the spring you're, you're going to be limited, particularly in a conference like the SEC, when you can't transfer uh, within the conference. So uh, that does mean you still can't get good players, but it's probably a little bit more – uh, pick and choose in order to do that. Uh, but again, and, and all of these things are subjective, but I do agree that two of your better transfer portal candidates of the year, shall we say, or Walter Nolan, who is at A&M, a tremendous defensive tackle, and Trevor Etienne, who I still think is, is one of the uh, – easily one of the top three running backs in the SEC, if not the nation. Uh, and, and I know it will be a while before Gator fans are able to uh, uh, to forgive what happened with that. Uh, and then Isaiah Bond going to Texas, who caught the, um, the touchdown pass uh, to beat Auburn. But it is a interesting group. And again, Caden Green, the offensive tackle, 
that is going to Missouri is, is very good too. So um, uh, fortunately, we're finally getting on, getting on the field and we'll have a chance to see some of these guys in another uniform. Yeah, a lot of these guys, again, staying inside the same conference from one SEC school, simply transferring to another SEC school. All right, Brent, as we begin to wrap up, let's go to Florida. A co-offensive coordinator, a guy that was on the staff already, what do you make of what Billy Napier is doing down there? Well, I mean, I'm glad he, at least it appears that there there are going to be some uh, uh, changes uh, with Russ Callaway, uh, the tight ends coach, being moved over. I, I think, again, um, my question here is, how involved will he be with play calling? Uh, Hank, if you're going to bring people in, and, and it's again like the special team situation, are you going to allow them to uh, really fully involved in helping you, uh, or is this more window dressing to get rid of some of the heat? Uh, that you've got from the media and from the fans. I don't know if we know the answers to those yet, but I think the answers to those will have a whole lot to do with how this season goes. Yeah, I just like the fact that Napier is relinquishing some responsibility. I think the first two years he realized, all right, maybe too much is on my plate. Let me bring this special teams guy in from the NFL. Let me go get this guy to be – or we promote this guy to be a co-offensive coordinator to not have as much on Billy Napier's plate as what was on the first two years there at the University of Florida. Brent, speaking of another head coach, the Auburn Tigers, I believe, are the first SEC school to begin spring practice. What about year two for Hugh Freeze there on the Plains? They, the, the immediate thing that they've got to be able to do uh, is they've got to be able to figure out the quarterback situation. And Peyton Thorne is okay. I know, I'm not sure he's striking fear in the hearts of defense coordinators around the league. Thorne at times can be good. Thorne can at times can be good. Sometimes he's just, uh, frankly, very average. But what's going to help Peyton Thorne or whoever it is, Holden Gineer or Hank Brown or Walker White, um, because Robbie Ashford is is gone, uh, he's transferred out. Running backs will be good with Jarquez Hunter, um, but the thing that's really going to help will be much better wide receivers. Kem Coleman uh, could be one of the freshmen of the year in the SEC, and also the uh, uh, offensive line is going to be better too. So uh, it, it will be certainly. As you said, a very interesting spring on the Plains. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, as we say goodbye, the NFL scouting combine begins today. Guys are on the field on Thursday. A guy like you that eats, sleeps, and breathes college football, do you like the combine? Do you like watching the college guys go up there and show what they can do for the NFL scouts? We we were talking before – about a guy like Jane Daniels and uh, how he would do. Uh, uh, I, I, I think uh, yes and no. Yes, meaning uh, it, it really gives some of these guys an opportunity that may have slipped through the cracks to be able to demonstrate what they're going to do. 
but 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 with a guy like Jane Daniels, uh, I mean, it, to me, the combines are to two things. It, it, it's a good chance uh, to be able to, to to begin for some of these guys your interview skills and be able to uh, to deal with the mental aspect of it. But for some others, that could be a diamond in the rough. Uh, now, Jane Daniels is on dime in the rough, but for guys like him, uh, I mean, I mean, heck, what in the world is he going to do with those metrics as far as how fast he can run, how quick he is, uh, the, the cones, how high he can jump? Um, I, mean, I mean, the guy with the uh, – I mean, to me, he can do everything. He's got great touch, but he can probably throw it 70 yards if he needs to. So – uh, it, it, it's kind of a mixed bag in some ways, is it not? It is. It is. To me, on the field, I'll watch it. But to me, the NFL teams care far more about the medicals and the interviews. And that yes. is what the combine yes. is. And, of course, a lot of these guys will also be on the field for pro days coming up starting in the next couple of weeks. Again, Brent Beard, First Coast News. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, thank you, my friend. Combine will be in the rearview mirror. Next week, more spring football teams will be starting up. We'll get into it at that point, brother. Always appreciate you. You too, man. Take care. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Another guest on the All Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL offseason getting into high gear, franchise tag time. Of course, the NFL scouting combine. There is a lot to get into with that. My buddy Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app. He does a terrific job covering the AFC South. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ben, how you doing? Doing well, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ben, always appreciate it. The last time you and I talked, the Jaguars were going to Nashville. It was a win-and-get-in scenario. And they went up there and got flat-out embarrassed on the lines of scrimmage. Tennessee did whatever they wanted on the O-line and the D-line. And Derrick Henry ran for a billion yards, and Jacksonville season came to an end. Ben, it's one of the biggest collapses, maybe the biggest collapse in franchise history. You've had about six weeks now since the season ended. Go back to the Jaguars losing five out of six, man. What are your thoughts now? Yeah, I, I think uh, going. In, I'm, I'm, I've, I've thought about like just probably going into this past season that the Jaguars were probably feeling themselves a, a, a little bit too much, right? And, and I know Trevor uh, has kind of spoken uh, about that um, kind of in, in his own way, but but I think um, j- just overall, and not just like the, the team, but, but I think from a front office standpoint, from a, a personnel standpoint, the way they approached Going into 2023, I, I think they rested on their morals a little bit too much. I mean, we've talked about how maybe Trent Balky wasn't as aggressive as they needed to be. We know that they had this slow start to the year, that they started to maybe pick it up a little bit midseason, but then just kind of falling apart as this uh, as 
they, they kind of entered the, the second half of the year. And of course, injuries played a role, right? Like Trevor was really banged up multiple injuries, the wide receiver injuries, the O-line issues. There are a lot of things going on, but, but I, I think ultimately um, the, the Jaguars didn't really play with the same edge that they did in, in 2022. Like I was in the post game locker room for the Jags after the, the Tennessee game. And, and I remember Josh Allen speaking about uh, how in 2022, right? Like the Jags, they just had this spark, right? And, and in 2023, they just always seemed to be looking for it, right? That they were never the spark that they needed to be, that they kept looking for it. When I, when I think that they really just kind of needed to, to be that themselves, if that kind of makes sense. So um, I think this, what happened this year, kind of getting humbled a bit, uh, well, you hope it, it serves them going forward, right? Just in terms of being more aggressive, we, we know um, th they weren't really aggressive in, in free agency last year. It was just the whole, just uh, the whole, just building out the depth through the draft and and kind of just working with what they have and continuing that way, we saw that that didn't work, right? And so I think we'll see a bit of a philosophy shift and, and maybe some more aggressiveness in terms of the personnel moves this offseason, and, and we'll kind of see how it shakes from there. Yeah, I agree with you. We better see some of that because they better not stay on pad again, and they can't really because they got a lot of in-house free agents to look at, and we'll talk about those in just a moment. Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, also the Fox Sports app. He covers the AFC South for Fox Sports. Ben, Mike Caldwell, the D coordinator, was fired. Ryan Nielsen replaces him coming in from Atlanta. Your thoughts on the Jags' new defensive coordinator? Yeah, on, on paper, really love, you know, Ryan Nielsen and, and the job he did in Atlanta. I mean, I know overall, like, the Falcons kind of had – their struggles, but it was not on defense. I mean, you look at how he improved uh, that unit, particularly the pass rush. Uh, they doubled their sack production from uh, 2022 to 2023. And, and I know Nielsen, he'll bring a more aggressive, uh, like press man uh, scheme to, to the Jags as well. And, and just, but the total and going back to his uh, pass rush pedigree, I mean, he he has a really great reputation and and uh, resume of like developing pass rushers, right? Whether it's uh or just defensive front guys in general, whether it's uh, Demario Davis or it's uh, Cam Jordan, uh, the the work he did with with the Falcons last year, I think. Uh, that, that's really encouraging uh, for for Jacksonville when you think of wanting Trayvon Walker to continue to take that next step. And ideally, right, you, you hope Josh Allen is is still in the fold, and I, I think he will be. But uh, seeing how Nielsen can figure out ways to, to take him to even the, the next level, even after setting the single-season uh, sack rep record with uh, 17 and a half. And so – uh, I think if you're uh, a Jags fan, I think you should be really excited about the potential of, of what this defense can become, right? A defense that kind of led the Jags for most of the year, but then just kind of fell apart to end the year when you needed them to be at its best, 
right? And and knowing that the defense, the Jags were really a defensive-led team for most of the year, and it kind of let them down when they needed them most. So I think with bringing a guy guy like Nielsen in, um, just his reputation, his results, not only as a D coordinator, but also a pass rush specialist and, and the aggressive scheme that he's going to, this aggressive attacking scheme that I think he brings to Jacksonville, uh, I think there should be a lot of optimism for his hire. Ben, they're either going to re-sign Josh Allen in the next week and a half or they're going to place the franchise tag on him. There's, to me, no question about that. So that brings us to Calvin Ridley. I think that's the big question. If they franchise Allen and Ridley hits the market on Monday, March the 11th, I guess my question to you, what are you hearing in Indianapolis about Michael Pittman Jr.? You know, there's a T. Higgins question in Cincinnati. Because if those two guys, Pittman and Higgins, get franchised and that wide receiver free agent room dries up a little bit, that'll make Ridley's value skyrocket and he may get an offer somewhere else he can't refuse. Yeah, that's what I've kind of thought a lot about just with Calvin Ridley. I mean, obviously, I think the Jags would want him back, right? Their leading receiver, he wasn't even on the injury report the entire year, like not even a limited participant, right? Like he participated in all 17 games, 1,000-yard receiver, seven or eight touchdowns. I can't remember off the top of my head. And and just all the DPIs he drew. And considering that it was really his first year back in like almost two years, considering – uh, the suspension, of, of course, and, and then the mental health sabbatical he took. And to look like that, I mean, just imagine what he could look like in a uh, year or two with Trevor Lawrence and in that offensive system. But uh, but as you mentioned, uh, it, it's he could be really, really expensive, right? Because I fully expect Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, to be franchise tagged uh, and just – kind of that being in route to an eventual long-term deal for him. I'm not as sure about T Higgins in Cincinnati because I don't follow that team, but it's a very real possibility that Calvin Ridley is the most high profile receiver in free agency. And, and what does that mean? Uh, of course, it means his market value is just going to balloon, right? It's going to be, I think it's going to be really, really hard for the Jaguars to, to retain him. And so uh, I, w- I would not be surprised if he's not in Jacksonville in, in 2024. Uh, that's kind of my feel on the situation and where the wide receiver market is trending. Um, I-, I think from, from the Jags standpoint, yeah, that, that I-, I think that that hurts. But I think just with the incredible depth in this wide receiver draft class, uh, there's some optimism there and, and you could – maybe find it more of a bargain uh, value addition uh, just in, in the second and third rounds of free agency too, just in terms of wide receiver position. But, but yeah, because that they're probably going to have to, fran- they may just franchise tag Josh Allen. Uh, Calvin really he's, he's going to hit free agency. And, and also just because of the parameters of the deal that sent him to Jacksonville, right? Like if they were to uh, extend him, uh, then they would give the Falcons a second round pick, and obviously don't they don't want that, right? It, it would it, it's it's the best case scenario from a draft capital standpoint for him to just hit free agency. Uh, but then I think at that point he, he could there's I think there's a good chance he prices himself out of the Jag the Jags. A couple of more for Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, and the Fox Sports 
app. You know, you cover the AFC South, so let's look around the division briefly, Ben. In Nashville, Tennessee, I still can't believe they fired Vrabel. Uh, I know here in Jacksonville we were kind of celebrating that because Vrabel tended to kill the Jaguars every time he played us. Um, So they bring in Brian Callahan, and what I find particularly amusing, um, if you talk to Nashville media and, and the Titan websites, oh, my gosh. Brian Callahan is the greatest hire on planet Earth. He's the next Sean McVay. You will talk to the national guys, and they're scratching their head like, you got rid of Mike Rabel for this guy who didn't even call plays in Cincinnati. So where do you fall on the Brian Callahan hire? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really big on, on, like, kind of the hot hot takes, like, either way. I mean, I, I'm more of a let, let's kind of see what happens, right, because – I think there are both sides to it, right? There are very fair reasons to not be all that optimistic about him because uh, he, he doesn't have play calling experience. You, you can argue that he's kind of ridden, you know, rode the, the coattails of the quarterbacks he's been around. And, and then obviously his dad, his coaching pedigree in the NFL and the whole nepotism type thing you, you could say things like that and uh this that and the third um but but then you look at just kind of the intricate details uh, of his resume just in terms of how he played a, a really key role in in constructing offenses to make the quarterbacks he's worked with really really successful uh i think the biggest testament to that is what he was able to do with Jake Browning, a guy who had been uh, before this last season in the NFL for four years and hadn't played in a regular season game. And he's forced into action because of Joe Burrow's injury and looks like an above, almost an above average starter, uh, just really catering the offense to his strengths, uh, designing the scheme around him uh, so that he's comfortable. Brian Callahan played a really, really important role in that. And, and even with the high-profile quarterbacks he's worked with, I, you, of course, can't give him credit for the guys he's worked with who've become or were superstars. He, he, he All of them, or a good number of them, have spoken glowingly about the job that uh, he did with them and, uh, and, and, and really working with them on just the intricate details of the quarterback position and and you hear, and just beyond quarterbacks, you hear like a T. Higgins or or other guys just sit, talk so much about how much they love playing for him. Uh, and so uh, I'm really in wait and see mode, Ryan, just, uh, just in terms of what he's going to bring to the table. He obviously has a, a lot of work to do, but, but I think just uh, some of the first moves he's made, uh, I, I think – you have to be encouraged. Like if you're a Titans fan, like the O line has been the number one Achilles heel for the Titans the last two years. And what did he do? He's brought in his father as the O line coach, arguably the the best offensive line mind uh, in football uh, and and really created just this uh, system to where they, they could really turn that around. Right. And, uh, and he's a different personality uh, than Vrabel. And, and the way he carries himself is totally different. And uh, he, he definitely has more of that warm and fuzzy. And, and he doesn't maybe come across as 
the kind of alpha that Mike Rabel is, uh, that Mike, yeah, that Mike Rabel was for, for the Titans. But, uh, but yeah, I, I we, we've seen coaches with that kind of demeanor be successful. Like when you think of a, maybe a Mike McDaniel, uh, what Mike McDaniel has done in, in, in Miami or, 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 or things like that, you know? So, uh, I'm kind of in wait and see mode, uh, with Brian Callahan, uh, the, the play calling thing, yeah, you, you would like him to have had like play calling experience, but I think the totality of his resume, uh, he, he's a guy who's uh, kind of grown up in the NFL. Um, and I think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic and just the relationship that he already seems to have with uh, general manager, Rand Carthon, uh, I know that they're really, really close and, and they, they already have a really strong rapport. And, and so um, I, I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see like what that actually becomes. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm just more curious than anything. I think that's the best word I would use. The absolutely crazy thing about the AFC South, Doug Peterson is now the elder statesman of head coaches in the division and he's entering yeah. year three. In Jacksonville, of course, Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans will be in year two, and Brian Callahan will be in his first year there with the Tennessee Titans. Ben, leave us with this. I saw you did an article on Trevor Lawrence earlier this week and how that whole dynamic is going to play out with the contract extension possibilities here in Jacksonville. Tell Jaguar fans about your coverage on FoxSports.com and where they can find your work. Yeah, I mean, you, you really just said it right there, Ryan. I mean, People can, uh, all your listeners can, can find my work on foxsports.com, the Fox Sports app. Uh, if, you, if you go on the website or the app, uh, you can go to just the personalities page and uh, search my name, uh, Ben Arthur, and, and you, hit, you hit that. And then all my work um, on the, not only the Jags, but of course, the other AFC South teams, the, the Colts, Texans, Titans, you can find all my work there. Um, and... And yeah, I, I mean, I, I think for my work, uh, because I'm not necessarily a beat reporter, a lot of my coverage of the division is geared towards a national audience, right? So uh, whether that's uh, the quarterback talk or the, the talk around the coaches or kind of star players, uh, that's where a lot of my coverage is geared towards. Uh, so um but but yeah, that, that's where people can find my work, and of course on on Insta on uh, excuse me on X and uh, Instagram Threads, uh, my work is there as well. Ben, know you're busy this time of year. Thank you for taking time out. Let's do it again right after free agency, and we'll kind of see how the AFC South teams fared once free agency arrives. Thank you, my friend. No problem. Thank you. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, there's a lot going on. Obviously, the scouting combine, 
up in Indianapolis, all focused there on the Jaguars and what they're going to do this offseason. We got news on the high school front as well. The coaching carousel continues to spin a little bit. So with all that, let me welcome in Justin Barney of Channel 4, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Justin, how you doing? Not too bad, Hack. Thanks for having me. A lot of stuff going on from Indianapolis all the way down to Lakeland with uh, with high school sports. A lot of time, a lot of activity uh, here on the First Coast. Yeah, we'll get into the basketball championships as well. But let's begin, Justin, with the Jaguars. Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke both met the media today. I don't know how much people expected to learn today at these press conference settings. I've said for the last week, we actually might start seeing some moves being made tomorrow. I didn't think they were going to do anything before this press conference. Now that they don't have to talk for a little bit, I think some moves will finally start being made. But what did you make out of what you heard from Peterson and Balky today? Yeah, you know, kind of uh, fill in some blanks after the season. Uh, we hadn't heard from Doug since um, since the season in the press conference, and uh, you know, not uh, not the address of, of Mike Caldwell, um, Ryan Nielsen, his uh, preferred defensive coordinator. We've heard from him since uh, since his hire, but it's the first time we got a chance to actually uh, hear a little bit from Doug uh, firsthand on uh, decisions he made and, and why he made those, and from Trent too, you know, where things stand with Josh Allen and that situation. So um, interesting comments from Doug about Trevor and his growth, and uh, really happy. Uh, with the team and, and some moves to be made this year. So nice to hear some uh, some blanks being filled in by Doug and Trent today. Justin, if they show up in September with the same starting offensive line that they ended the year with 51 days ago, the fan base is going to flip out, right? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, um, you know, Doug uh, said that about the offensive line. You know, his, his projected five only played together one full game, um, but they they just weren't that good in that one full game either. So I think you've got to uh, you've got to address that offensive line. And and I know Trent is set in his ways on certain things, but I do think they make uh, make some changes to that offensive line. I don't think in week one you can trot out those uh, those same five uh, that you hope to start with this past season. I think you've got to infuse that group with some talent, whether that's moving on. Brandon Sherrick, whether that's adding a, uh, a guy to that offensive line at 17 or a big free agent, something like that. You've got you've got to boost that unit for sure. I think it's clear, again, Justin Barney, Channel 4 here with us on 1010XL. I think it's clear Josh Allen will be a Jaguar, whether it's a franchise tag or a long-term extension. We'll find out by the deadline on March 5th next week. Calvin Ridley, there is a lot more uncertainty about that. Justin, how vital do you believe Calvin Ridley is to what the Jaguars want to do moving forward? Yeah, I mean, he gives you that uh, uh, that missing piece, which is not a Zay Jones or which is a Christian Kirk. I think he's a little bit different skill set from both of those guys. Um, and, you know, Calvin even said in his availability after the season that uh, he felt that, that those other guys, the Zays, uh, the Evans, the Christians, had better rapports with Trevor and just that comfortability because they'd been there longer in the system. So uh, Calvin felt like he got his introduction to the system uh, in his first season there in Jacksonville. And um, he notably said he'll be better in his second season. I think he wants to be back in Jacksonville. The problem you run into is you don't want Calvin talking to other teams and, and getting uh, crazy, silly money thrown at him 
um, if he's not franchised or if he's not signed before that uh, before that deadline that would convey a second round pick to the Falcons. So I don't think you want that if you're Trent and Doug and, and your big free agent guy, um, your big guy you want to bring back. Both spoke uh, very profusely uh, in favor of Calvin uh, after the season and uh, and of course today. So I think they want him back. You just don't want to give Calvin his agent a chance to sit down in, in front of another team uh, and let them start talking financials. I think you want to get a deal done with Josh, whether it be franchise or long-term extension. And I think you want to get Calvin back, uh, even with the, uh, the the caveat of a second-round pick going to the Falcons if they re-sign him before that uh, that deadline. I'm trying to get this feeling out of my gut, but this is start, starting to feel to me, Justin, like last year. Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor were both free agents. They had to franchise one. They chose Ingram letting Taylor hit the market, and Taylor was gone four hours later to the Kansas City Chiefs. They're obviously prioritizing Allen, and with good reason, but I just get the sense if Ridley hits the market 13 days from today on March 11th, I think he's probably gone. What's your thought there? Absolutely, I think so. And, you know, in, in uh, Jacksonville, you, Calvin's going to be with the with the franchise tags around the league. He's going to be uh, number one or number two available on the market in terms of uh, big-time receivers. And we saw with Jawan Taylor, the, uh, the Brinks truck he got last year from the Chiefs. Obviously, it worked out well for Jawan. He won a Super Bowl with, uh, with Kansas City. Uh, but you do not want that uh, for Calvin Ridley. You don't want him sitting down or talking to another team. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, that Juwan Taylor blueprint last year is certainly uh, probably uh, paying it around in Trent's head for sure. Justin Barney, Channel 4, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Justin, I want to talk a little football with you in one moment, but basketball, the state championships are going on down in Lakeland. Before we get there, boy, maybe the game of the year, Impact Christian and University Christian last week comes down to a buzzer beater. What a finish between those two schools. Yeah, really, really good. And uh, Impact Christian Benjamin Jones has done a great job there. And uh, the night before that, University Christian Girls won on a three-pointer uh, with 7.8 seconds left to beat NFEI. So uh, a little bit of a UC, the girls with the, uh, the winner close to the buzzer and the boys lose at the buzzer. Obviously, Impact Christian moves on. One of uh, one of 10 local teams, I believe, that are in the state semifinals uh, this week in Lakeland. And then, uh, of course, next week, too, with Ponte Beach boys and girls both going down. So uh, an interesting time, a good time for area basketball, uh, one of the most successful uh, regular uh, regular season into the playoffs that I can remember in quite some time. A lot of local girls teams in Lakeland for the Final Four and a lot of local boys teams in the Final Four, including Andrew Jackson and James Collins. He's coaching his alma mater, uh, trying to win a state championship, and uh, he's had that team down there quite a few times. So a lot of good storylines for our hoops teams down in Lakeland this week. How did Impact Christian do this? As young as that school is, to have a basketball team on this level, that's unbelievably impressive. Yeah, you know, and, and Coach uh, Benjamin Jones has, you know, I remember when he was at coaching, uh, when he was coaching Ed White, led the commanders down to the Final Four, uh, and then right after that, not long after that, took that job at Impact. Even when they did not have a varsity program, he kind of uh, was in that system and built something there. And uh, you see these teams that, that that can build something and really set a foundation. And I'm reminded by, you know, what Coach Brian Braddock, what Coach Joey Weil said in, in football, the St. Augustine coaches, you know, they said we have to build something sustainable. And I look at Benjamin Jones, and he's done that at Impact Christian. You're not going to get blue chips every year. You've got to build a program, put something in place that works, that draws good kids there and coach them to death. And uh, Benjamin Jones has been remarkable doing that. 
four state semifinal berths in seven years uh, and championship game appearances uh, in three of those. So we'll see if he can get to a fourth one this year, but um, a great one over there at Impact. Christian Benjamin Jones, a great program builder on the hardwood. A couple of more for Justin Barney of Channel 4. All right, Justin, who has the best chance to come back from Lakeland with a state championship? Yeah, I look at it and Andrew Jackson. They've been down there. They've done it time and again. They got to that championship game. James Collins' team, uh, a very, very good team this year, and I think they've got a good chance uh, to play for and win a state championship. That would be Saturday at 3 p.m. if they get that far. Uh, I like James Collins' bunch here. They are 20 game, uh, consecutive 20 games. Uh, it, winners uh, heading down to Lakeland, and I think they have a good chance at bringing home a state championship on the girls' side, maybe Bishop Kinney, but you're probably staring uh, at a Lake Highland Prep rematch in the final, and uh, Lake Highland Prep is a dynasty. They knocked you off a, a couple times during your remarkable run, so we'll see if Will Mayer and the Crusaders can bring home a title this year on the girls' side. Justin, on the football front, the coaching carousel hasn't been active as of late, but you and I haven't spoken in a while. Baldwin as a brand-new head coach, a guy they promoted from within the staff. Rob Shield steps away, and the best name now in high school athletics area, uh, in our area, Don Velvet, the brand-new head coach at Baldwin High School. I love it. I love the name. It's uh, and he's been there for a little bit of time too. So, uh, promoting from within uh, the continuity, I think, is a, is huge at programs like that, and especially in an area now where you've got the, the high school transfer portal cranking uh, cranking year round, and uh, of course NIL. That's been the conversation as of late. So I think you need stability there, and uh, a guy who knows that system, who knows the program, who knows the kids. I think Donald did a good job there at uh, Baldwin. I saw you tweeting out yesterday. The FHSAA was meeting. Again, with football-related activities, seems like that's all they do is meet. What were the meetings about earlier this week? Yeah, um, just a board of directors meeting, and uh, you know they had some uh, some business to take care of. I think there was a, a marketing agreement for Paragon, which is a promotions arm that uh, tries to uh, get these postseason or, or preseason tournaments started. There was the cross issues, but I think there was the uh, the biggest conversation was about nil name image and likeness it was the first draft read of uh, of that bill yesterday and it uh, you know it, it was not a voting topic it was not going to be voted upon but a lot more questions after uh that board of directors meeting they obviously are going to be one, the ones that vote and decide the framework of this just a lot of legal questions though you know your board of directors people who serve in schools and, and around the state they're not legals and not, uh, not attorneys who have issues with this and there were a lot of legal type questions being asked not a lot of answers so uh, the first discussion of nil been kicked uh, kicked to april 21st we're going to have a workshop to talk a little bit more about that and i think the uh, uh the overwhelming consensus was they need to be thorough cross their t's dot their i's get some legal questions answered because uh, if we've seen anything in the past from the fh say if they do not move quickly enough or make a decision that state legislature uh, thinks is a thinks is a good one they are going to be overruled and uh, that is going to come to pass good or bad from uh, from the men and women in Tallahassee so I think they're feeling a little bit of the time crunch to get that done in a uh, in a pretty quick way uh, NIL is coming to Florida be it uh, be it this spring or the start of uh, the fall season in 2024. Final moments with Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin you've covered high school sports here for a long time you're an encyclopedia on the matter I mean how do you feel personally about NIL coming to high school athletics in the state of Florida? I think it's crazy because you can't really police 
all the transfers. I mean, Florida has, has almost become the NCAA transfer portal before there was a portal uh, with the, uh, the introduction of open enrollment uh, seven or eight years ago around the state. So uh, you're, you're seeing these schools who win year in and year out of the sport, um, be it football, baseball, whatever, basketball, winning year in and year out with uh, you know a steady stream of transfers or private schools reloading, homeschool kids uh, coming and filling out rosters. And I think you're only going to continue to see that, especially with the playoff system. We don't even know what it looks like for this fall, um, but when you're adding the uh, you know the guys of pay paying athletes, you're going to have the blue chippers continue to get paid, um, you know, and it's been introduced in Georgia. And I don't think there's been a significant number of athletes getting, uh, getting these huge, crazy deals, but in Florida where the, the transfer portal is so rampant, you know, Georgia doesn't have these uh, open enrollment type regulations. There's a lot more policed up there. And in Florida, it is not like that. You know, uh, FHA struggles year to year on what it's going to do, be it adding a shot clock, be it the playoff system. Um, so many issues in Florida persist a lot due to open enrollment. I just don't know how in the world, if you can't police sports in your state, how are you going to uh, police and kind of, uh, you know, provide oversight when there's money involved and there's money involved um, makes uh, makes people and in, in institutions do some crazy things. And I think uh, I think they're biting off more than they can chew in this situation. I think it probably should come from the state on what's allowed and what's legal and what's not. And, um, you know, I think we're going to going to see um, not the end of times in high school sports, because I think um, it's still pure in, in some regards. But I think once you introduce money into the equation um, and big gobs of money when when there's inducements and stuff, I think uh, that's asking for trouble. So you really need to have some framework in place. And I don't think the FHSAA, with uh, with having shown us before in, in some big situations, I just don't think they're going to be able to cut out and, and police this as much as they want to. Yeah, that's a wild situation, no question about it. Justin, leave us with this. You and I were both at the spring sports media day, high school 912 media day last week. A lot of spring sports on hand. Looking forward to watching all these great athletes. But certainly baseball took center stage. Uh, your thoughts on baseball this year and some of the best players in the area? Yeah, you, you got to start, I think, with uh, with Hunter Carnes at first coast. He's our reigning player of the year. Catcher for the Buccaneers. He's got some uh, some big uh, big ambitions for his final season, but he may be the best player, uh, certainly in our area, but one of the top three, four, five in the state. Trinity Christian is loaded. You got a stud and uh, Brady Harrison, underclassman there, is being talked about as maybe a top five draft pick uh, a couple drafts from now. So I think you've got the good talent at Providence. Tommy Boss doing a good job over there. St. John's Country Day is reloaded. Uh, they got a couple of transfers from Bartram Trail, Colt Myers, Skyler Sanford. Uh, so there is a lot of talent in this area and uh, we're just getting to scratch the surface of that justin barney of channel four justin i know you're busy man thank you as always and we'll do it again soon take care half thanks for having me hacker after dark on 1010xl And thank you to Justin Barney of Channel 4 for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Is yeah, busy time. Obviously, a lot going on on the high school ranks. College spring football getting in session. In fact, Auburn began spring football today. And, of course, all eyes on the NFL scouting combine up there in Indianapolis where you heard from both Doug Peterson and Trent Balky earlier today right here on 1010XL. Well, that'll just about do it. 
It has been a very busy Tuesday night, our late night show. We certainly appreciate you guys staying up late with us here on Hacker After Dark. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Justin Barney of Channel 4. Thank you to Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app. He covers the AFC South. Always enjoy talking Jaguars, Titans, Texans, and Colts with my buddy Ben Arthur. Thank you to Brent Beard in hour number one. Of course, you see Brent on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark, a little college football and college basketball news and notes weekly here with Brent Beard. And thank you to Dallas Robinson, Pro Football Network, who joined us earlier on here on Hacker After Dark as we talked Jaguars and looked at the NFL scouting combine and the draft class here in 2024. Takeaways as well from what Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson had to say today. Well, I think I'm more confident now than maybe I was earlier today that Cam Robinson will indeed be a Jaguar this year. I think cornerback is obviously a need. But again, this is smokescreen season. They're not going to come out publicly and give their blueprint for what they're going to do beginning in 13 days when free agency begins. So take everything they said today with that knowledge, but from my interpretation of it, Cam Robinson likely to be a Jaguar in 2024. Cornerback is a need, and we'll certainly see what happens moving forward. I also thought it was interesting. Trent Balky said he's scheduled to meet with Ezra Cleveland's agent later this week up in Indy, and he said he had a good meeting with Calvin Ridley in his office here in Jacksonville last week. He said Calvin knows where we stand, and we know where Calvin stands. What that means, well, that's up to your interpretation, but that's what Trent Balky said earlier today up in Indianapolis. We will be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Casey Dobson was in again tonight for Dylan Denmark. Casey, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us on a Tuesday here on Hacker After Dark, and we certainly, certainly appreciate it. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday night, and we will talk to you again tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.